Well, good morning. It's always great to be here this morning. I, I am excited to be here. We'll hope that you'll be excited to be here here in, a, in about 30 or 40 minutes when we finish this message. But <clears throat> I want to start out this introduction with a, with a quote by a man named Matthew Simpson, who is a Methodist pastor in the 1800s. And he happened to be the pastor who gave the message at Abraham Lincoln's funeral. <clears throat> Listen to what he says here about preaching and the preacher. His throne is the pulpit. He stands in Christ's stead. His message is the word of God. Around him are immortal souls. The Savior unseen is beside him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene. And heaven and hell await the issue. What associations and what vast responsibilities. When a person steps into the pulpit to exhort God Almighty by proclaiming his word and his glory, it is a holy moment. It is a responsibility the preacher must take seriously and humbly to stand before the great God of heaven and earth and deliver the message that the Holy Spirit has given him with truth and passion without holding back anything that he has been given to say. Some of you might be saying, well, Scott, are you being a little bit over the top here? Aren't you really just giving us a, a talk, kind of a hyped up locker room speech where you're trying to just get us to live in a certain way that you want us to live? I hope none of you think that. Please know that is not the case at all. This is the most enjoyable and yet the most difficult thing that I could do. Hear these words as the Lord speaks to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3, 17 through 21. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, no spe nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. That's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Well, he continues. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, I lay a stumbling block before him and he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he will surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. 
The prophets from the Old Testament had a difficult calling, and so do pastors and elders who preach today. We are shepherds, and part of our job is to lead people where they may not want to go, but it's the Lord's will that we go there anyway. So we lead them. If not, then your sins are on our hands because we failed to do the job that God has called us to do. We have not warned you of the impending doom that may soon come upon you and give you time to turn and repent to God. We must remain faithful to the message and direction that the Lord gives us. So you might ask yourself, why did I just share that with you today? I share that with you today because the message that the Lord has given me today is one of those messages. It is a message I don't necessarily want to give because it's a bit in your face and some of the things I touch on might offend you, they might hurt you, but they're things that we all need to hear. But please keep this in mind that this message you only have to endure for 40 minutes and I have known I was going to preach this message for three weeks and it has been pounding me in the forehead for three weeks. And so you're getting off easy. Let's read our passage this morning and it is found in Joshua 24, 13 through 28 or page 234 in your pew Bible if you want to follow along. Joshua 24, starting in verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And then Joshua talks here, starting in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. What are the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm sure many of you have heard that before. You might think differently of it at the end of today. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us out and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forget, forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. 
Then Joshua said to the people, You are a witness against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. And Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we come before you this morning with humble hearts. We read this passage, Lord, and we realize that this message that you have for us this morning is not an easy message. This passage is full of things that we need to learn today about you and what it means to serve you. Lord, I pray, God, this morning that you would preach through me, that your word would be heard by the people in their hearts and in their minds, and that we will understand more about what it means to be your servants, to rely on you for everything that we have since you have given it to us already. Lord God Almighty, thank you for your word. Thank you for the faithfulness of Joshua who gave this message on your behalf. I praise you. And thank you and ask for your blessing this morning on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in order for us to really understand this passage, we are going to have to look today. We need to do a little bit of context. We need to do a little history lesson and bring us up to speed of where we are in the book of Joshua and where it sits in Israel's history. It's going to be a very brief overview. I mean, it could be really long, but we're going to go really brief. Um, so Moses has brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness and to the banks of the Jordan River. And because Moses was disobedient to the Lord in the wilderness, he was not able to take the people of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. He was instructed by the Lord to hand off his leadership to Joshua. And it was Joshua who led the nation across the Jordan into the promised land. And throughout the book of Joshua, we see Joshua's courageous leadership and humility before the Lord on display. He has led Israel into battle. Some battles they won, some battles they lost due to disobedience to the Lord. Throughout all of this, Joshua himself was a strong and courageous leader, just as the Lord had called him to be in Joshua 1.9. Joshua has now divided the land among the tribes of Israel, and he is now a very old man. Soon he is going to die. In fact, his death is recorded at the end of this chapter, in chapter 24. And he has now called the people to gather together to hear his final message to them. In specific, he has called the leaders and the elders together to hear what it is that the Lord is going to say through him. At the beginning of the chapter, in verses 
1 through 12, he recites all the things once again that the Lord has done, how he has brought them through the Red Sea and all the things that they needed to do in order to get to where they are right now. And that brings us to verse 13, which is where we're going to start this morning. Let's read verse 13 together. I gave you a land, this is the Lord speaking through Joshua, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, in cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruits of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Do you understand what that verse is saying? The nation of Israel is standing in a place that they had done nothing for. They didn't have to do anything to stand where they are. They're eating fruit, they're drinking wine, they're enjoying the cities that they live in. The land that they are standing on was given to them by God, and they did nothing for it because God promised them that he would give them this land. God keeps his promises. Think about that. They are in a move-in ready promised land. How awesome is that? I know, Matt, brother, you are rebuilding a house on your land. Would that not have been great if that house would have been move-in ready? It will be move-in ready soon, but you're making it move-in ready. But what if the Lord had just given it to you? I mean, that's what happened here. It would have been great for Matt to have that. But the nation of Israel is standing here in this land and done nothing for it. This was in keeping with the covenant that God made with Israel through Abraham way back in Genesis 12, and he reiterated in Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, he sealed that covenant, that promise that he made. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, remember his name was Abram then, until God changed it to Abraham later on, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the nation of Israel was now standing on this land that God had promised them, the land that Moses led them to the banks of the Jordan River for, the land that Joshua had taken them across, and each of them now have been given their inheritance that God had promised them. A land that they did not earn, but was given them by the generous grace of the great I Am. Humbling, isn't it? Think about your own life, your family, your job, your money, the food you eat, the vehicle you drive. Where did all of these things come from? Who really owns all of these things? I know we like to say, well, I own a house, or I own two cars, or I own this, and I own that. Do you really own it? Amen, brother. The Lord owns it, and everything that we have is given to us by his grace. And he could take it away at any minute. God has shown you his grace in every facet of your life. There is nothing you have that he has not provided for you. But none of it truly belongs to you. It belongs to him. 
And he distributes things as he sees fit. And he takes things away as he sees fit. Because why? He wants us to trust him. He wants us to know he is the provider. He wants us to know that he has your back. He has made a great promise. And he will keep it for you. All he wants from us is to have faith and trust in him. Is that too much to ask? As we move to the next section of verses 14 and 15, the Lord has dropped the mic in verse 13. What more could the people say back to him? They have been given everything and had done nothing for it. Joshua then begins to speak as a shepherd, a pastor, if you will, to his people. He is the Lord's anointed voice to the nation of Israel, and he is about to tell Israel what they are to do now. This is his last charge before he dies. And this is so powerful. And I love preaching the last words of great people in the Bible. Because this is what they want to leave you with. These are their most important words. And this is Joshua's last message to his people before he dies. So this is important for you and I to pay attention to. Verses 14 and 15, and again, these might be familiar to you, but even before we get them, we need to understand that back in Exodus 19, that God made another covenant with the nation of Israel. And he said this, starting in verse 5 of Exodus 19, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And he gave that message to Moses to give to the nation of Israel. And then from Exodus 20 through 23, the Lord gave the Ten Commandments and the Law. In the first command, he said not to have any other gods before the Lord. And then in Exodus 24, 3, the nation of Israel agreed in one voice to follow all the words that the Lord had given Moses. And then we come to Exodus 32. And you've heard of the golden calf incident, right? Where Israel broke their covenant with the Lord and worshipped a golden calf, an idol made of gold. Gold that God had given them that they squandered when they left Israel or left Egypt. You know what their excuse was? Do you know why they did that? Basically, they said their excuse was that Moses was just taking too long. He didn't come down in a timely manner from the mountain, and so we gave up on him. All of this is important to know because we need to know what happened and why Joshua is telling us what he is telling us here in Joshua 24. So now we can go back to verses 14 and 15, and let's read them together. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond 
the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods and the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The first thing that I want us to see is what a great shepherd Joshua is. He is fulfilling his role to his people that the Lord has given them to lead, to know, to feed and protect his sheep. Even in these last days of his life. Remember last week we talked about the Sabbath and Matt pointed out that there's no retirement in the Bible. Joshua is an old man. He could have easily just slipped off into retirement, gone fishing, played golf, whatever, but he didn't. He was still leading the nation of Israel in his last days. Part of a shepherd's job is to lead the people in the way of the Lord. And let me tell you, it's not always popular. In fact, it can lead to lost friendships it can lead to some very uncomfortable confrontations with stubborn sheep. But we need to be faithful to the message that the Lord puts before us. And now in verse 14, Joshua commands the nation of Israel three things. To fear the Lord, meaning to revere the Lord in reverent fear. Two, to serve him sincerely and faithfully. This goes beyond just recognizing that there is a God. As James 2.19 tells us that even the de demons believe in God, but they don't revere or worship him. We are to sincerely and faithfully worship him. The third thing that Joshua commands the people to do is to put away their idols and their false gods that their fathers had worshipped and serve the Lord. Serve the Lord, as Matt told us last week, means to labor for the Lord. Work for him with glad hearts, with faithfulness, meaning our full efforts to give him all that we have, not just what we have left over, not a half-baked effort. In this passage, if we're looking at the word, looking at today, the word serve is used extensively, as we can see, 14 times in these verses, the word serve or serve is used. It's used six times just in verses 14 through 16. Serve is kind of an important concept here that Joshua is trying to teach the nation of Israel. Above everything else he wants us to know is that the Lord is first. Do not serve any other gods. And I was thinking through this and I wondered, you know, what gods do we serve today? Money? Our health? Our relationships? Drugs? Alcohol? Our favorite TV show? Sports? Idols? Food? Sex? Recreation? Our hobbies, or as Matt pointed out earlier, our ministry can even become an idol. I would imagine that none of us here today have many wooden idols or stone idols. 
But we have plenty of other gods that we serve. And God is telling us to put them away. To put them away and serve our one true God who has given us everything. One of the truest tests if someone is truly serving the Lord is to look at their checkbook or their bank account and see where their money goes. Then a person can really see whom they are really serving, the Lord or themselves. When Sherry and I were young, we both had really good jobs, and we had enough money in our life where we could pretty much do whatever we wanted to do. Sometimes we ate out three times a day. I mean, we were, you know, the, I didn't get this beautiful body for nothing. I worked hard. And, uh, well, that soon ended. A few years later, Sherry uh, was a mom, and I lost my job. And the income that we had dropped by two-thirds. We were living on one-third of what we were making before. And we had become Christians who were serving the Lord in a big-time way. We were very, very involved in our church. And we understood then the concept of giving, and we gave, but not nearly in the way that we would have liked to have been able to give because we had to live, and it hurt us. And one day, as I was cleaning out a drawer, I came across a budget that we had put together when we were younger. We had everything on this budget lined out. Food, going out to get food, movies, gas, you name it. Everything was on this piece of paper except one glaring thing. No giving. When we could have given, we gave nothing. And at that time in my life, my heart was broken. And we learned our lesson. And we give now, in good times and in bad. We give first. And I can say that, and I don't say it out of pride. I say it because God cut me down at the knees and taught me a great lesson about him. And I could tell you stories about how he gave to us in spite of what we didn't give to him, but we don't have time. But this is what we need to learn, that even the poorest can give something to the Lord. Remember the story of the widow's mite. She gave her last two cents. So just as Joshua is commanding Israel to put away their false gods and serve him only, he is calling us to do the same thing. Verse 15 is that famous verse where Joshua calls out the people to choose whom they will serve. And he gives them two choices. He says, you can serve the false gods of the fathers or that polytheistic nation that you live among now, the Amorites. Or you can choose to serve the Lord who has given you everything that you're standing on right now. Joshua says to them, in fact, he's given them a choice. He's not commanding them. It's their choice whom they're going to serve. But in this case, Joshua is making it pretty clear what the right choice would be. He says, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, 
I mean, when you read that, you kind of go, you step back from that. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, you know what that word evil means? It means distasteful, despicable, disgusting, disdainful. Can you imagine? If it is disdainful or disgusting or despicable for you to serve the God who has given you everything, go ahead. Choose who you're going to serve. That little thing right there or the God of heaven and earth. And Joshua, as the great leader he is and the shepherd that he is to his people, goes first. And he says, but I tell you, my family and I, we're serving Jehovah, the great I am. Who will you serve today? I know a lot of us may have Joshua's proclamation on a plaque hanging on a wall in our houses. I just want you to understand that that is not a platitude to show how righteous we are whenever someone comes into our home. This is a vow before the Lord. And I ask you, if it is in your house, when was the last time you stopped and read it and really understood what it was saying? And not only that, but maybe cracked open your Bible and read this chapter in Joshua to understand the context and how Joshua was pleading with his people to serve the great I Am who has given them everything. It's not an easy proclamation to live with. It is not a platitude just to show our neighbors how righteous and religious we are. I'm not telling you as well that you shouldn't have it on there. But understand this about vows and what Jesus said about vows in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. And again, that is not to say that this, putting this on your wall, is incorrect or wrong. All I am telling you is I want you to understand the context upon which this verse is in and what Joshua is really telling you and telling them that they need to do. Choose whom you're going to serve. If you say you're going to serve the Lord, then serve him. As we look at the next section, verses 18 through 20, we see the people's response to Joshua's impassioned plea. Starting in verse 16, it says, The people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in the way that we went and among all the people through whom we, we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. The people cry out to Joshua that they will serve the Lord who brought them there and gave them everything, that there is no other God that they will labor for. We will serve our God, Jehovah. 
And they probably really believed that they would do that. But their history doesn't show that as a nation. It shows a pattern of sin and idol worship and bowing to false gods. Remember the golden calf? If we had time to look through the first five books of the Bible today, we could find many instances where they failed to live up to this vow that they had just made. Let me ask you this question. How many times have we gotten up in the morning and said, okay, this, this is the day. I am not going to do that one thing. I'm not going to do that sin. Today, I am going to do the right thing. And then by 10 in the morning, it's all over, and you're walking around in shame, praying God that he would forgive you for failing to hold up to your vow again. Why is that? Why is it that we can't serve the Lord in this way? Why we, we say we love God. We recognize Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Why couldn't Israel keep their vow to the Lord. I'll tell you why. Because we're sinners. And we love our sin. We love our sin more than we love God at times. It is really that simple and that painful to hear. Remember that I've gone through this message now for three weeks. So this has been pounding in my head for about a month. And it is hurting my heart to think that that is me. Again, when we look at verses 19 through 21, we're going to see why we need to be careful and understand the spiritual implications of the things that we say and proclaim in God's name. We will look at the answer to the question of why we in Israel cannot keep our word and serve him. And the solution to that problem. Joshua is telling the people that they are not capable of keeping this promise. Just like they haven't been able to keep it in their past. Starting in verse 19, Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Yikes. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua has just finished pouring out his heart to the people, pleading with them to serve God, to put away all their false gods of the past to labor for Jehovah in all aspects of their lives, that it's imperative that they do so. And failure will bring dire consequences. And now, in this unexpected change of direction, he tells them after they said they would do so, you can't do it. You can't do it. Imagine how hard that had to be to hear as well as for Joshua to say that. This is why I read to you those verses in Ezekiel 
It is not easy for me to tell you that. It is not easy for me to tell myself that. You can't do it on your own. Joshua gives three main reasons why they can't serve the, the Lord. And the first one we've already talked about, because they're sick. Excuse me, because they're sinners. And at the end of verse 19, he says that God will not forgive their sins or their transgressions, showing again that they are, in fact, sinners. We have been stained by the fall back in Genesis 3. We are now imperfect. We are sinners. We love sin. We love to sin. We crave the short-term pleasures we get from sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that we're all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 3.10-12 tells us that nobody, not one person, seeks after God. Not one of us does good in its purest sense. We are prideful people who seek after the approval of humans over the approval of our Lord God Almighty. Joshua contrasts our sinfulness by stating that God is a holy God. Matt touched on holiness last week. He defined it as being set apart. Apart from what? Apart from the world. Apart from the barbaric, sinful life of the polytheistic, sexually immoral, prideful, self-serving, murderous, lustful lifestyle of the world that they were around in the world we live in today. He is God who cannot lie, as Titus 1-2 tells us. In fact, he is so pure and holy that when we come into the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no need for a sun or a moon because it is his glory that gives it light. His, his Son, Jesus Christ, will be its lamp. That's what Revelation 21, 23 says. And 21, 27 says that nothing unclean, nothing sinful will be entering into it. Our God is holy. He is set above and apart from anything sinful. But that is not the only reason why. Joshua says that he will not forgive their sins and their trespasses. God is also a jealous God. And God stated in the first commandment that you shall not bow down to other gods. You will not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, those who serve other gods. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 44.16 and 17 tells us what the absurdity is of worshiping false wooden idols. It says, half of it burns in the fire. Over half he eats meat, he roasts it. He's talking about the person who is making the idols out of wood. He roasts it and it is satisfied and he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire 
And of the rest of the wood that's left over, it says, and the rest of it he makes it into a god, his idol. And he falls down to it and he worships it. And he prays to it and he says, deliver me before you are my God. This block of silly wood that he just burned his food over. 44.19 says, no one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burn in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? And even though we don't have blocks of wood necessarily that we fall down and worship before, we have plenty of things that we previously talked about that are the same thing. And the consequences for the people was that God, even though he has done all these great things for them, would not forgive their false worship and do them harm. They would be disciplined. And we don't like being disciplined, but God does it to us to show us his glory and to help us to be molded more into his image. The question for us is then, well, how relevant is this to us? If we cannot serve God and he will not forgive our sins and we cannot keep from sinning, where's the hope? Where is our hope? Well, our hope is in Jesus Christ. The Lord knew. He knew we would be unable to live up his holiness. He gave Israel the law to point out his holiness. He called them to live according to the law to show them that they are set apart to live different than the world as he is. To be like him and worship him and him only. And this is what Joshua is telling the people. But we live in the New Testament. The new covenant that Jesus came in the form of a human. Fully man and fully God to provide us a way to live for God. And to serve him only and have the forgiveness of our sins. We looked at Romans 3.23 already. Romans 3.24 says this and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. In other words, propitiation means that Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice that was clean, the only sacrifice who was able to satisfy the wrath of God and take the sins upon himself. That's what propitiation means. The atonement by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. Verse 26 says, It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It is through Jesus for the glory of God, there is nothing that you can do because you are incapable of doing anything to please God on your own. Everything that we do is tainted by sin. Christ is the only one who provides us justification to stand before God because God is the justifier. Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, but God 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God's, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. By putting your faith in Christ alone, you are saved. Recognizing the sinfulness of trying to live your life pleasing God on your own without faith in Jesus is futile. And it's impossible and it only leads to destruction. You'll, by putting your faith in Christ, you'll be called a child of God, and thus you will receive your inheritance. And that inheritance is to be a part of the kingdom of God, which is at hand right now. Eternal life does not begin in heaven. Eternal life is now, from now on. The consequences of rejecting Christ are grave. It leads to eternal damnation in hell. And really, there's no other way to put it. That is what happens. You reject Christ, you reject, you reject God, you go to hell. So I ask you, whom this day will you choose to serve? The people said once again that they would serve the Lord. We move to 22 and 24. Then Joshua said to the people, Well, then you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Joshua then told them what this means, that they had made an oath to God and now they are witnesses against themselves. And the people fervently continued to say that they will serve the Lord. And when Joshua tells the people to put away the foreign gods and incline their hearts to the Lord, read with me again what the people's response was in verse 24. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. It's important to note what they didn't say more than what they did say. They didn't say they would put away their foreign gods as Joshua commanded, nor did they say that they would incline their hearts toward God. And if you were told to put away your foreign gods and idols and incline your heart only to Jesus, what would you do? Would you do so? I say today that we need to if we haven't done it already. It's not an easy question to answer if you really want to serve the Lord and labor for him. 25 through 27, Joshua establishes the covenant. He says, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and he put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth, that was the sanctuary for the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, Behold, 
This stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard the words of the Lord that he has spoken to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. We need to understand that it was grace that the Lord chose the Israel. It wasn't because they could serve the law. God chose them because he wanted to choose them. There was nothing about them that made them different than other people. In fact, they were the smallest nation. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8 says this, But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping an oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And I miss, we need to go up to verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. He chose them because he chose them. And as I was thinking about this passage and I think about this rock that Joshua put under the terebinth tree, it reminded me of Matthew 16, 15 through 18 when Peter was talking to Jesus. Starting in verse 15, it says this, Jesus said, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, and on, but I tell you, you are Peter, and on to this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is this rock, this reminder that Jesus, our chief cornerstone, the author and perfecter of our faith, took the truth about him being the Christ, the Messiah, the begotten Son of God, and he made that rock, that truth, as a witness to us about God's promise for our forgiveness and our inheritance in the kingdom as children of God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is this rock that Jesus said that he would build his church, and that rock is the gospel. And because of this, a true Christian should never tire of hearing of the gospel because it is our witness from God of his promise to us. We need to hear it more, not less. We need to be reminded every day that we are incapable of pleasing God on our own. But because of Jesus, we are called righteous children of God, justified by faith in our Savior and not in ourselves, living in his wonderful grace. It is in Christ alone we make our stand. Verse 28, Joshua sent the people away every man to his inheritance. And quickly, just to talk a little bit about an inheritance. If you were received an inheritance, and think about, we started in verse 13 a long time ago. And in verse 13, God reminded them that he had given them everything, and now they are to go to the inheritance that God has given them. If you were happen to be given an inheritance, what do you do with it? Do you spend it frivolously? Do you hide it under a pillow? Or would you invest it into something worthwhile? As believers, we are called to take our inheritance and invest it and to use it for the kingdom of God. 
We are to invest in people. We are to invest into the Word of God and learn it and study it and understand it and invest in our relationship to the one who created us, the one who gave us everything that we have. And we have six days a week to do it, to labor for our God. I want to end today with a challenge. And this challenge was one that I was challenged with as I was going through this message. I challenge us today, who will we serve? Ourselves? Our sin? Or God? Jesus? I challenge you and me to throw away our foreign gods, our idols, and put them away and incline our hearts to the Lord in Him alone. I challenge you to invest what God has given you into the kingdom and beg the Lord in prayer to use you for His good. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter who you are. God will use you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for your message, Lord. We thank you for everything that you've given us. Father God, I want to confess that I don't always serve you in the way that I should that I put other things ahead of you. I repent of that, Lord. I ask all of us in this room this morning to repent of that. Lord, today, today as I hope that I had since I became a believer in you many years ago, that I choose to serve you and you alone. I know this message was long and it was hard, but I pray, God, that you would use it to open people's minds and their hearts and to understand what it truly means to serve a loving God who created us and gave us everything, including forgiveness for our sins through the death of your son, Jesus Christ. What else could we possibly look for in a God? I say nothing. And I humbly stand before you and say I'm sorry that I failed you at times but this day Lord I put my trust in you that you will give me the strength in order to be able to live for you and serve you all the days of my life in your name I pray amen